Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good afternoon from the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. Tom and I have Tom's fellow plant pathologist on the phone with us this afternoon. So we've got Trey Price from the LSU Ag Center and Travis Foskey from the University of Arkansas. Travis, is it all right if I just chop that off at the University of Arkansas or do you need to do the whole division of agriculture? I don't think it's necessary. I think what you got is just fine. Okay. <laughs> Travis Foskey from the U of A. So welcome, guys. Before we started, Trey mentioned that some of this info may be a little bit late for Louisiana, and that would be my fault, not Trey's fault. We had this scheduled last week, and then I had some major homeowner problems in the form of a dead air conditioner and a dead hot water heater problems yeah. that persist to this day. About so, the time we were all going to get on the phone, Jason says, never mind, I'm out the door, see you later. So I had to lock up the podcast studio while he raced to the car to run home and save mama. Which leads me to my question, and I can ask either Trey or Travis, when your phone rings, what's the one number that you do not want to see on your phone when it rings? Mine, given the context, obviously is my wife, Amanda, because she never calls. She just always texts me, and if she calls, something <laughs> yeah. major has gone in the ditch. Yeah, I would agree with that. Like my, uh, If I get a call from my cousin or something, somebody's probably died. My sister's a big one, too. If my sister calls, there's usually a calamity of some sort. That would be for me, my brother. If he calls during the middle of the day, which he never does, then there is some major issue that happens. You stop and take a couple of deep breaths before you answer it? Yeah, I won't. <laughs> I, won't I won't use the word that would pop out of my mouth. It would be either my wife or my mother or my brother uh, if one of those three people called because, yeah, usually it's the text conversation that goes back and forth between my wife and I. And then, of course, pure Armageddon would onset on planet Earth if my mother texted. That's a sure sign that Armageddon is quickly approaching <laughs> is when my mother actually texts you. Tom and his plant pathology people are going to talk about plant pathology stuff today, and I'm just going to kind of sit over here and and drive the train. Run the uh, board and attempt to not have a coughing yeah. fit with his walking pneumonia. Yeah, that too. So again, for the folks in Louisiana, it's my fault. It's not Trey's fault that we didn't get this information to you sooner. No, no, no. I, I would, I would say this isn't. This is never too late a conversation to have. And the reason we have Trey and Travis on is we have reached that point in the summer and or corn season where we need to have the conversation about southern rust and fungicide application or strategy regarding the choice to apply a fungicide. Yeah, that's exactly right. That generally during the first week of June. Uh, get a call or several calls from either farmers or consultants or agents in the central part of Louisiana, usually out of, down around Point Coupe Parish, around to East Parish, somewhere in there. And they'll pick up southern rust generally within the first the first week of June. This year is the exception. I haven't heard from anybody down there. We finally uh, picked up southern rust here in the northeast part of the state in, uh, two weeks ago now, uh, and that's generally a little later than usual. So that's a good thing. But one of the confounding factors this year is that we had a lot of corn replanted because of the freeze. So we do have some corn that is uh, a little later than normal. So that would definitely be a concern um, if you have southern rust pop up. 
when you say a little later, what general growth stage are you talking about? Let's see. Last week we were in some replant. I was in some replant that was brown silk. We got corn ranging from brown silk to almost black layer right now. It's a pretty wide range of, of uh, maturity out there. And I would say the corn in Mississippi is probably pretty similar, although Monday I, I swear I was driving north of Vicksburg and saw some corn that didn't even have any tassels on it, which is pretty far south in the Delta to be in that general vicinity and not see tassels, you know, pretty close to the river. And I didn't investigate because it was kind of back behind some some houses, and I, just, I was pretty shocked that I saw it. And that would be July the 3rd, so that that at least puts it mm-hmm. in calendar-type situation. I guess at this point we have it in Mississippi and Arkansas as well. Yeah, for, for us in Arkansas, we have not seen any. I've, I've had, you know, the calls, and this is about the right time of the year for us to see it. And so I think we're going to be like you, Trey. We're probably going to be a couple of weeks later, even if we do see it. Um, I've had a lot of suspicious southern rust calls. Uh, most of them have come back to be actually curvularia, upper in the upper canopy, but uh, uh, no southern rust yet. But our growth stage is very similar to what uh, you guys mentioned. Uh, my research plots are actually have not tasseled yet. So I'm, I'm hoping to get some uh, good data from my, my fungicide trials. But the southern rust is not moving that quickly this year. It doesn't seem to be that widespread yet. So we may all get through and not have a whole lot of southern rust this year. Well, and I talked to somebody a few weeks ago who has some good contacts in Texas and still does a good bit of work down the coastal bend area. And he said the general area that he usually picks it up early, which would be, you know, June, May, maybe even a little earlier than that. He said there was not much Southern rust in that part of, of Texas either, which I think lends itself nicely to the fact that it may be a little later Southern rust year this year than what it has been historically, or at least over the last decade. And that, you look at the calendar right now, and usually what I've started telling folks is about the 4th of July is when I start looking for things. And I usually make a big trip, head south, and look, you know, down along the river. And Vicksburg was as far south as I was able to make it Monday, and I, I didn't see anything. There wasn't much disease in a couple of fields that I hopped into down that far south, and I was dodging thunderstorms and everything else. One of the things that, that kind of become apparent to me is a lot of people that are scouting corn once a week a lot of growers that they think that the corn needs to needs to be spotless the entire season it's hard to impress on them that the older the corn gets the more susceptible it is to diseases but in the same breath the older the corn gets the more damage it can take and uh, that kind of factors into your management decisions once you pick it up I mean, if somebody calls and says, well, I've got southern rust and my corn's tasseling, I'm going to tell them to spray it. So that's that's pretty early, and you, you know you're going to get some rain before the end of the season, and that's going to spread it around. So if somebody calls me in there at dense stage, man, southern rust, I'm just, I don't know, it's no big deal. You're more than likely going to outrun it. And there's a little gray area in there between R2 and let's see brown silk and and doe stage where you kind of have to make a field by field choice and and take into account the weather forecast and crop stage and of course economics too go ahead travis no i was just going to say yeah your economics for the yield potential because we've had a few 
fields a couple of years ago, and I had a, a consultant call, and he was he was wanting to spray, but after we started talking through it, he says, you know, this corn's yield potential is so low. I, I really, it's not that much, and and I really appreciated that point from the consultant. Uh, and so he didn't, and he was happy he didn't spray, uh, and the farmer was really not wanting to spray. But uh, Trey, I, I had the same kind of recommendation here that uh, you mentioned, like the DT to R3, the the, uh, the milk stage, it's still worth treating. But you get to the dough stage, and that's really, a, for me, that gray area. It's uh, If it just arrived uh, and the weather was not favorable, I'd probably let it bump. But yeah. a couple of years ago, we did have one. It was, it was good yield potential. We were getting a lot of the rains, and, and he went ahead and treated it now. And of course, it, it slowed it down enough where they were happy with it. But we have the same thing here that you're mentioning that folks see it, look at it and say, well, I want my corn to be perfectly disease-free all the way up to the time I put a picker in. And, and that's not necessary. Um, I think that's almost wasteful if, if you don't have some kind of disease by the end of the season. Well, and if you consider what's out there right now, and you know, I stopped and looked at some commercial corn not far from the experiment station on Monday while I was out. The consultant had called and said he'd seen what he thought was nutritional deficiency, and, and that's what I said. But what I told him was you got a lot of curvularia in there, which I know Trade said in kind of a group text a few weeks ago that he's got Field of Dreams corn again and his fungicide efficacy plots. And I walked the bulk of mine between Friday and Monday, and I don't have Field of Dreams corn I've got just a a bloody ton of curvularia. And that's what I tell folks is just like what you two have have said. The older the corn gets or the more mature it gets, the more disease it's going to have. And it's because it's shooting every single bit of nutrition and every little bit of photosynthetic production into ear production at that point. So the leaves are just there to help fill out the rest of the crop and they become super susceptible then to everything else that's in that field. Now at that point, it's, it's hard sometimes to talk somebody down that, you know, well, it's just going to get worse from here. I should, I should apply something and make it look better. Well, at the end of the day, that doesn't necessarily work like that, depending upon what products you apply. So one of y'all, if you're in a, southern rust situation and you're on one of those borderline field type situations so you're somewhere around r2 but you're not quite to r4 what's your product of choice and i know i kind of should temper that with there's one product out there that's like head and shoulders above everything else and i try not to name it i usually just send them to the fungicide fpc table and crop protection network website because I haven't been able to generate generate a ton of southern rust data in my program. Um, generally, I don't see southern rust in my plots until it's a little late and it's really spotty. But I, you know, I try to plant at the same time the growers are planting around here, so I really don't have much late corn to look at. So I'll defer to Travis on that one and let him mention that product. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's interesting. So a couple of years ago, I did a, a, a timing. You know, VT and R3 timing. And, you know, when I go back and look at that data, as long as I had a, a strobilurin, the QOI fungicide in there, it was really effective against the southern rust. And that's one of the few cases where it's still working and still effective. My Tribapro plots look really good when they're when they're treated and I have southern rust, but so does Quilt Excel, which is 
uh, one ingredient different than what Tribe Pro is. Um, and even Quadras itself looks good, although I wouldn't recommend that because we have other disease issues out there that there could be resistance uh, developed against it. But for the most part, as long as they have one of those, that's, that's usually in pretty good shape. It's kind of interesting when we first had tilt, you know, years and years ago, like I, I guess there was not many fungicide options. There's still some folks who says, oh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something cheap. I'm going to treat it. I'm just going to go ahead and put tilt on it. And, and that does absolutely nothing against Southern Rust. There's even guys, too, that are, you know, uh, using some of the generics. Uh, and some of them say they don't work as good. Uh, in my trials, I think they, they look as good as long as you've got uh, the QLI in there. So for me, it's, I usually ask them, what do you have available in your area? Because sometimes I'll mention things, and I'm like, well, I don't have that. I can't get that. Or that's not available. So I'll usually start with what do they have? And then like Trey mentioned, whatever, what's ever the efficacy on the, the chart? And uh, then they can make the final choice, which one they want to use. And then almost asking them how much they want to spend, because there's a tremendous price discrepancy between products that are available and what may be actually housed at the retailer. And really, you mentioned the one thing that really pops into my head is I can make corn look really, really good with some fungicides. And the overall residual efficacy of some of those products, you know, I, I think the COVID year 2020, I think I walked corn plots every seven days. And I did it on purpose because I wanted to see when I started losing efficacy from a residual standpoint. And some of those products, some of the three-way mixes, and that's all I'm going to say, you could get somewhere between 28 and 42 days worth of residual efficacy out of those products, whereby I didn't see that fungicide breaking down and any real dramatic increase, we'll say dramatic increase in disease on the leaf tissue. So, Tom, let me ask you, now, I didn't do as detailed of a study as you've done, but I have gone out like 28 days later. And and some of those fungicides are still holding the the, the three-way mixes. But also my environment changed too. And and when I've seen that, so I I sometimes attribute some of that extension of that efficacy to the environment as well. Was yours still good southern rust environment when you looked at those and it was that long? It was. It might have been a little drier than what you would have liked for it to increase but if you consider the fact that it increased on the non-treated check, I, I would consider that to suggest that the environment was still conducive for increase. I would agree with that. I, but I've probably seen about that length of time. That's, that's reasonable. It's, I've heard of other numbers out there. Somebody will use like 40 days or something. It's like, well, now that's really pushing it. But uh, the 28, I get a little with. Yeah, I would say 28 to 35 is probably it's doable with some of those fungicide products and not all of them. But then the hard thing to factor in is when you're in a curvularity environment, if you pick a hybrid that's pretty susceptible to curvularity, you'll start losing what you can actually see because once you make the fungicide application and if the curvularity just keeps increasing, you're losing touch of the fact of how much Southern rust you have because it's hard to separate it out. And the other thing is, is, and it's really hard to tease this out from yield data. So if you had yield differences between the treated and the non-treated, well, which disease factored into that most? Was it the southern rust? Was it the curvularia? Or was it something else that was in there? Because 
I'm sure y'all are like I am. You're looking at more than one disease. It's not like you're just evaluating plots for southern rust. You're capturing everything that you see while you're walking those plots. Yeah, sometimes I can do up to five things. One thing I would add about the residual efficacy is if you guys are like me, you're probably using more water volume when you're spraying plots. We used to walk on corn fungicide treatments, and we'd put out 15 GPA. This year I went I dropped it back to 10 because we were finally using a, a high boy to put those treatments out. But if you're talking about on a farm, I mean, you're going to be lucky to get five out of a plane. That's something else to consider. Right. We put the bulk of our treatments out with a John Deere 6000, which I realize is probably not the greatest piece of equipment to do that with because you're certainly not <laughs> all the way up above the canopy because your hydraulic limitation is is that you're basically going to bend some stalks over. But at the end of the day, it does a great job of putting out products you know, pretty rapidly so you don't have to backpack those on by hand and when you're treating you know 400 plots at the vtr one timing it's a little easier to put it out with a john deere 6000 than it is to walk it on by hand we do 10 gallons per acre yeah yeah tell me about it it's uh we should have done that a decade ago but we finally our entomologist is no longer here to, to guard his high boy so we just uh, hijacked it and modified it a little bit so we put good use yeah, that's, that we're, we're using 15 gallons. So, yeah, mine is there's probably a little bit more coverage than the 10. But, yeah, most of all this stuff is being flown on. So uh, two to five is, is the most. And, you know, as we're talking, I've seen a lot of planes flying already this year. Uh, so I know there's a lot of applications that are already going out, even though between the three of us, there's probably not enough southern rust to get excited about. At least it doesn't get me excited yet. I like to be able to walk out of the field and be orange. And, and those are, are good trials. And, uh, I've only had about two or three years that was like that. But uh, I always hope, but I don't think it's going to really develop this year either. What's your experience stopping a, a bad epidemic in, in a cornfield with a fungicide application? So most of those really do work. Uh, I mean, even, even three-way mixes or some of the ones that just have a QLI plus a DMI are still effective at, at, at stopping. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the three-way mixes probably do a better job of stopping it or significantly slowing it down. But they do, I mean, it's, it's kind of a night and day difference about how clean they can be. Those are the years where you're like, okay, our treatments really are working because they'll always rep out. Uh, but just like we talked at the beginning of this, by the time you get to the end of the year, if you go out at 35 days after, for my case, uh, the years I've had a really severe rust, uh, you know, you'll start seeing it jump back on those corn plants that do have a good fungicide on it, but it's mm-hmm. too late to cause any impact. It, it's certainly dramatic. And, and I've, I'm talking about years where maybe my non-treated control would have been 75% of it covered in rust. That's enough to get me excited. I haven't seen that in my plot since 2014, and that was down in Alexandria. Mine were pretty good the last two years, but they weren't necessarily as great as what Travis is talking about. And and I'm really, I'm more interested now in trying to find the differences between the hybrids and any of the, the hybrid trials because there's huge differences in southern rust sensitivity or susceptibility between hybrids. And, and there there hasn't been much that's been available that's been quote unquote resistant for I don't know, probably more than 12 years at this point. Pioneer used to have one that was sure enough resistant to southern rust, 
And since then, there, there really hasn't been anything marketed as Southern Rust Resistant. No, there hasn't. And I, I usually tell guys I consider most of them to be some magnitude of susceptibility. They're all susceptible. But you're right. You know, Tom, sometimes I have seen, though, on some of these variety trials or hybrid trials with corn, those that are the most mature, again, tend to have more rust. And I've always wondered, is it a, is it a maturity thing? where you're getting into one of those later growth stages, or is it actually resistance when you can't see it on the one next to it? Um, and, of course, I haven't taken the time to, to do all the maturity ratings I need to and the, the disease ratings, but uh, I'll agree there's some there's some variation within susceptibility. Yeah, and I've, I've wondered the same thing because there's big differences in relative maturity between a lot of those hybrids, although if you look... I don't remember how many days difference it is. It can't be much more than like 15, if I'm not mistaken. And I've, I've not looked real carefully at that. Okay, the one thing that we really didn't cover, and we did dance a little bit around growth stages, where do y'all stand on a dent application to manage southern rust to improve or benefit stalk sturdiness? We've had southern rust come in at dent before, and we put out on your side, and we we monitored lodging and things like that, and uh, it doesn't make any difference. I, I don't recommend it. If you got southern rust just at dense stage, it, an application does not make sense at all to me. I generally tell people to just walk away from it at that point. I would concur with that. I mean, we we haven't had southern rust actually come in at dent, but we've had southern rust in the field, and I've treated it dent. And I didn't see any impact from it. You know, no yield protection, no standability. And, you know, a, a lot of that topic, um, I hear some of our counterparts in some of the, the Midwestern states talk about that standability. And then I'll ask them, too, well, when are y'all harvesting your corn? And they'll tell me, December. Well, okay. That's, that's a totally different situation when we're harvesting like that corn is at dent, it may be another month and they'll put a picker in the field. So they're, they're harvesting relatively quickly. But I think there's a lot of noise that's generated from some of the Midwestern uh, states about that or consultants or farmers there uh, that gets carried over in the South. And I don't, I don't think it's, it's worth the money. One thing to consider too is that some hybrids are susceptible to lodging no matter what them. I see that every year. Walking the official hybrid trials, you'll come across two rows that'll be on the ground. No apparent reason. Yeah, and we've we've done some things looking at whether or not a fungicide is beneficial at, at a dent application, and either we had southern rust present prior to dent or we didn't, and we just were taking into account overall stock integrity or prolonged standability, whatever you'd like to call that, and we didn't see a benefit from the fungicide. And the last thing I'll add is the last time we really looked at a fungicide application, it was made at dent in a field that already had southern rust. I've not necessarily widely talked about this, but the the yield results from that were less than 100 bushels in some of that corn because it was really late planted. But by golly, it was the inverse of what you would have thought. The fungicide-treated plots lodged more than the non-treated plots because at that point, the stalk couldn't hold the additional five bushels you might have added to the ear. And that's completely counterintuitive and not something that's easy to tease apart in the data, let alone talk about publicly. Yeah, I should mention uh, Boyd Padgett years ago. 
did a lot of work along those lines, and even Clayton OBA, he got a bunch in a statewide project where he was looking at stock density, actually actually physically measured stock density on corn from non-treated and and uh, treated plots with various diseases in them, and that, they didn't find any differences in stock density when a fungicide was applied. You want to close this down, Jason, since you've been quiet over there? I told you I was just going to sit here and I know you did. Drive the train. That's what I did. So I think y'all covered it pretty thoroughly. I didn't have much to interject. So Trey and Travis, guys, we appreciate it. Again, I I can't apologize enough for bailing on y'all at the last minute last week. For those of you listening, we appreciate it. Tom, thanks, man. Thanks, Jason. Trey, Travis, thanks, guys. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. Glad to do it. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.